This is actually a very special trip for me because uh, I first came to Afghanistan almost exactly 20 years ago. And I have been working on and off in Afghanistan since then. But uh, very fortunately for me, about uh, two and a half, three years ago, uh, I came to USAID. And I am responsible for our assistance to Afghanistan and Pakistan. And, but I have a long, much longer association with Afghanistan uh, and, and Pakistan as well and the region. And I think that the thing that I would start with, which is really important for me and I think is important for Afghanistan, is that the, when you look at Afghanistan and the gains of the last decade, how much Afghanistan has developed, it is actually an amazing story. It's an inspiring story. You know, I lived here during the Civil War, and I saw Afghanistan at its, at its lowest. And the amazing thing is that when you look at things like access to education, access to health care, economic growth, there is mobile phones. Mobile phones, uh, power. Yeah, power. Roads, I have my... I, I, I step off the plane and my iPhone, my American iPhone works. The, every objective indicator of development in Afghanistan, the trend lines have been amazingly positive. If you think about women and girls, uh, a decade ago we talked about a lost generation of Afghan women who couldn't go to school, who couldn't work. And now, uh, a decade later... You have several hundred thousand Afghan women and girls who have gone through uh, high school and university, who are working in government, who are involved in the economy. The changes that literally millions of Afghans have experienced are very, very profound, very deep. I think that the development that Afghanistan has experienced over this time uh, has made millions of Afghans have a stake in their future. So today, Afghanistan faces three transitions, the security transition, the political transition, and the economic transition. And I think that securing the gains that we have made, making sure that all of these advances remain, is, is our mission here. Because all of these advances will help Afghanistan to remain stable and to become self-sufficient through the process of transition. Uh, but the only way uh, that we can defend those gains is to make sure that it is Afghans who have the leadership and the responsibility to carry these things forward. So today I went to DABS. Uh, the energy utility. And they are an amazing story. They have increased their revenues, the money that they collect for energy this year by 70%, just in this last year. And what, what is happening is that they are, they are charging Afghans for their energy. They are billing people and people are paying these bills. Some of them are even starting to pay the bills with the mobile phone. Yeah. I can't even pay my mobile, I can't even pay my energy bill with my mobile phone in Washington, in America. <laughs> but, but, the, but the important thing is that 
just a few years ago, they required hundreds of millions of dollars, something like 200 million dollars a year to run the energy system in Afghanistan. And today, they are almost self-sufficient. They collect almost enough money to run the energy system by themselves without any foreign uh, assistance. You look at an example like the Afghan Ministry of Public Health. Ten years ago, only 6% of Afghans had access to any kind of medical care, simple medical care. And today it is more like 66% of Afghans. But the reason that that is so important is that, and this is incredible, I tell people this and they never, it's, it, 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 it really, you have to say it twice for people to understand. The life expectancy in Afghanistan as a result of increased access to medical care has gone up 15 to 20 years from something like 44 years to 64 years just in one decade. And ha ha the, the, what is equally important is how we accomplish this goal. We invested in a very simple, low-cost system that is run by the Afghan government to increase access to health care. Things that for pennies, a cure, would kill someone. A child who dies of diarrhea or respiratory illness needs a little bit of medicine, but if there's no doctor, there's no medicine. And today they receive that medicine and they survive. And so Afghanistan used to have the highest infant mortality and maternal mortality rates in the world. Uh, and we have been able to address some of that challenge uh, in partnership with the Afghan government. And the results have been really incredible. I don't think there's any country that has had an increase like that uh, that is higher. So what is important now is that we figure out how to, how to maintain these gains. USAID is planning to be in Afghanistan for many years to come. What we achieved at the Tokyo conference last year was really unusual. After 10 years of investment in Afghanistan, still the U.S. government and the international community committed to continuing this investment in Afghanistan's development for years to come. But there are two important things. The first is that the only reason we are able to do this is because we were able to prove to demonstrate to our publics who pay this bill, this comes from our taxpayers, that we can prove to them that this investment is achieving results. The second thing is that the Afghan government has committed to making important changes that will ensure their success so that they will combat corruption. They will deal finally with problems like Kabul Bank that they will hold uh, fair, credible elections, that they will collect more money from their own people, that they will increase the amount of money uh, that they collect from their own citizens so that more of the programs that benefit Afghans are paid by your own tax system and not the U.S. tax system. And if we achieve these things together, if we both hold to these commitments, then I, I am very optimistic that... Uh, that Afghanistan will manage to succeed uh, and, and guide itself successfully through this process of transition. Okay, so that's the end of my speech. I think I'm going to start with the, uh, the success stories. Um, 
you mentioned education, health, and ICT and uh, various other sectors. How sustainable is it when uh, during the transition and after the transition to maintain the success? Uh, although you mentioned a little bit about uh, how the government, for example, raising taxes and collecting more tax money, but, uh, would it be enough to replace what is what has been already uh, funnel, uh, channeled to Afghanistan? So sustainability, I think, is the single most important objective of our programs. We have gained a lot, uh, but its value will be seen if, if it becomes sustainable. Um, and I think that there are two different ways to think about how uh, our collective investments in Afghanistan become sustainable. So one is that, you, that the Afghan government has to have, uh, and, and the people, it's not just the government, it can be the private sector, it can be civil society, they have to have the capacity to be able to do more of these things themselves. And then the second is that they have to have the resources to, to pay for it. So the good news is that the Afghan government has increased its revenues this year to over $2 billion a year. It's a thousand percent increase uh, since uh, 2002. And where does this revenue come from? It comes from trade. It comes from ICT. So it is good, but it is not enough money to pay for all of these things. So our effort has to be, one, that we continue. The, the levels of assistance over the next couple of years will go down gradually but we will continue to invest in Afghanistan. But at the same time, we have to find a way for the Afghan economy to be dependent on, on the market, on the private sector. So we are also making some very important investments now in the things that will grow Afghanistan's private sector economy, will grow employment, and will grow revenues from things like customs and trade. Our two biggest investments right now uh, are in agriculture and what we call small and medium enterprises. I recently drove mm -hmm. from uh, Islamabad in Pakistan uh, across the Indian border and then went to <coughs> Delhi. So I saw the border crossing between India and Pakistan and then I went to Delhi. And in Delhi, I met with Afghan fruit exporters and Indian fruit importers who are importing fruit from Afghanistan. So last year, 110 trucks of Afghan pomegranates went to India. So the, the trade is increasing, um, but there is a lot of room for improvement. For example, this is very uh, detailed, but it, it, it's to, to create an image. The, the, uh, the exporters, uh, the Afghan exporters, they go to pomegranate farms uh, and they buy everything. And they don't sort out the best product for India. They just put everything in the truck and send it. So they, don't get, they could get a lot more money for their investments if they prove their improve their production, improve their sorting, and improve the transport. And this is true in almost every segment of the agricultural economy in Afghanistan. 
So we are investing heavily in two things. First, to improve the production of Afghan farmers because they could easily produce more and better crops. And then the second thing is to invest in, in small companies that will improve Afghan products to sell in Afghanistan or to sell uh, abroad. Of course, there is also a big picture investment coming in minerals and what we call the extractives industry, oil and gas and all of these things in Afghanistan. But that will take longer. But that is the path to sustainability in Afghanistan. It's, it's, it is Afghanistan's economy. And there is so much potential uh, that is not realized here. Uh, he's asking that, that this is very good, and I'm happy that he went to Delhi and he saw Afghan pomegranate there. That's very good. But he's asking about a project by the name of Tafa. Yeah. He said there was a project by the name of Tafa, and in, in the, 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 the goal of that project was that to exempt the taxes on the Afghan uh, goods going to outside the country. So where is that project, and how is the work of that, and how is the activity? So I think the, the TAFA project has done really huge things. I was in, uh, last time I was here a few months ago, I went up to Mazari Sharif and I went to the new custom, I drove from uh, Mazar up to Hiratan and saw the new customs facility that they have established there. A lot of the increase that, that uh, in the Afghan government revenue uh, has come from customs. The, this project worked very heavily uh, with the Afghan government uh, on the customs regime, how to capture more of the trade that is coming both ways across the border, uh, setting up good facilities. W one of the biggest accomplishments was also the completion of the Afghanistan-Pakistan transit trade agreement. You know, Afghanistan as a landlocked country is unusually dependent on agreements like this. And the, the previous agreement with Pakistan from the 1960s was so outdated and was not good for Afghanistan. And the support that TAFA provided to completing this new agreement, I think, was, was, was essential to getting a good agreement with Pakistan. Now we have to make sure that the agreement is, is implemented. But having this agreement uh, is, is, has been really, is a really critical first step to increasing uh, the trade. Um, the project is also working on uh, the CARIC initiative, Central Asia Regional Economic Cooperation. And, and last summer, I went to uh, Almaty in Kazakhstan and brought together uh, USAID staff from India, Pakistan, <coughs> Afghanistan, Central Asia uh, to talk about how we can do a lot more to open up trade routes out of Afghanistan in both directions. You mentioned that uh, there are two, big sector, uh, two sectors that USAID is going to be investing heavily on, agriculture and small and medium enterprises. And I think one of the investments that USAID made, uh, had made was media, and the importance of that is, uh, I think, uh, quite huge. Uh, because uh, now Salam Matandar, with its with a network of 52 radio stations in all 34 provinces of Afghanistan is the only media outlet with two agricultural programs realizing that about 80 to 85 percent of the population is involved in this sector but uh, and uh, their their needs are not met because of security because of impassable roads 
and uh, because of uh, the illiteracy and uh, the, the, especially most of the uh, the rural areas, they depend on source of information uh, that's not print, uh, when, where they do not have TV. So radio is probably the, uh, in, in some cases, the only uh, source of information. And uh, I think uh, Salamat and our network, your investment, USAID's investment, could definitely help you help you in the future as well with, mm. with the agriculture because we've had uh, through um, disseminating information about agriculture techniques, about the usage of pesticides, uh, and about uh, similar similar things, we've helped the uh, the farmers quite a bit. I, I'm going to give you an example about the pomegranates that you gave. Um, I think it was 2010, about uh, 100 or so tons of uh, pomegranates were uh, sent back from Dubai uh, because uh, they were, the toxicity level was high because mm. they had used a lot of pesticides. Mm. And the main reason is because uh, the, the farmers are illiterate, because the farmers uh, cannot read the labels and uh, don't know what percent, the, the dosages that they have to use. So media, especially radio, mm. definitely plays an important role. And um, I hope uh, we can play an important role in making your, uh, this the investment on agriculture successful as well. Yes, yes. That, I, that was the, a comment, but uh, I'm going to come back to the question of, uh, th there was something that you mentioned and you talked a little bit, about, uh, you talked a bit about it, and it's, uh, I'm going to quote you, Afghanistan is at its best when it serves as a conduit of cooperation between countries and its borders and those further away. You talked about agreements, especially trade agreements. How difficult it is to meet the demands of its neighbors in these agreements and you think the infrastructure could be in the next five to ten years built to support that to, to make successful the, the agreements that uh, have been in place you know afghanistan is a trading nation for centuries millennia it has succeeded i think best when it serves as a regional hub for trade. Uh, and that has to be a central part of Afghanistan's vision for the future as well. And so you really require two things. You require hardware and software. You need the infrastructure to trade. The road network, the rail network, uh, the facilities, uh, the customs facilities, uh, the facilities to treat agricultural produce to be able to to be shipped abroad. Those things are very important, and those investments are underway. The U.S. government, um, as well as other donors, are supporting Afghanistan. I have been to Mazar-e-Sharif recently. I lived in Mazar-e-Sharif 20 years ago during the Civil War, and uh, the roads were crumbling and had landmines around them. There was no electricity, and you had to drive to Uzbekistan to make a phone call if you were in Mazar-e-Sharif. Today, you drive from Mazar to Hiratan. The road is perfect. There is a rail line next to it where there is timber and rebar and tractors coming in every day. There is a high-capacity energy line, uh, and there is a brand-new customs facility. And so what you see in a place like Mazar is uh, what we call the virtuous cycle, 
when you have all of the right kinds of investments, you have security, you have infrastructure, you have domestic investors and foreign investors, and the economy is growing. And so what we need to do is to build those corridors all around Afghanistan. But you also need to deal with the software. This is one of the least economically integrated regions in the world. Between Afghanistan and Central Asia, Afghanistan and Iran, Afghanistan and Pakistan, Pakistan and India, the trade is a tiny, tiny fraction of what it can and should be. And every single country would benefit enormously from opening trade. India and Pakistan now are having the best increase in trade that they have had in many years. The same is true with Afghanistan and Pakistan. The same is true with Afghanistan uh, and Central Asia. And this creates supporters. All of the people who benefit from this trade will become more numerous and they will become stronger advocates to increase the trade. And so instead of negative relations, you will start to see more positive relations because you have people who are benefiting from this. But there needs to be a change in the trade regulations. This requires the governments to cooperate. Uh, but the signs there are also positive. Every single one of these countries, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Pakistan, India, uh, they are all starting to change their trade uh, regimes, their trade rules, to be able to trade with each other more successfully. And Afghanistan sits in the center. How's Iran's inclusion in it? Has Iran been cooperative in being part of the, the trade agreements? I don't know so much about trade agreements, but uh, the, Iran uh, and Afghanistan have uh, a lot of uh, trade cooperation. Mm -hmm. uh, they provide energy to Afghanistan, and, and there is cross-border trade. Um, but from what I see, by far the more successful and open relationships have been opening with the North and with Pakistan and India. And that is what we are investing in. You said, uh, as you know a lot about the trade in Afghanistan, that you work with the top uh, belonging to USAID. Yeah, at, at current, Afghanistan uh, imports goods for several billion in a year. And Afghanistan imports, uh, exports uh, five to six million goods outside the country, which costs this much. Have USAID done anything to increase the export and uh, decrease the import? Yeah, and these two things are related. Um, last year, Afghanistan had its best harvest in 30 years. Uh, for the first time in decades, Afghanistan had to import almost no wheat last year. Now, some of that is due to weather, but it is also due to the fact that we are investing in increased farmer productivity and increased um, irrigation. So Afghanistan needs food security. It needs to be able to feed itself. This is one of the biggest areas of import. Afghanistan has in the past imported a lot of wheat. Um, so supporting Afghanistan's domestic industries is one of the most important ways uh, to 
what we call import substitution. You look at what Afghanistan imports, and then you try to grow it here or build it here so you don't have to import it. You look at investments like Coke and Pepsi as well. I mean, these are simple things, right? But they, they have a huge difference. The water, bottled water that is produced in Afghanistan, the soda that is produced in Afghanistan, um, all of these things have lessened Afghan reliance on imports. We are investing in uh, Shebergon, uh, the gas fields in Shebergon. Uh, we are investing in a public-private partnership with private investors to use Afghan gas to build a power plant uh, to supply energy to the domestic market. Uh, so there are many things that you can do. When I was in Mazar, I went to an industrial park that USAID helped uh, to build. And I went to an oxygen factory. They fill tanks of oxygen. Um, before this factory, and it's all Afghan investment, all Afghan private investment. Uh, before this factory opened, a tank of oxygen in Mazar cost 1,000 Afghanis, either imported from Uzbekistan, or there's also a factory in Kabul, but it's a long way to bring a, an oxygen tank. After the factory opened, it cost 400 Afghanis. Same thing, I went to another, a dairy factory in Mazar that we have supported, and they are making yogurt, excellent yogurt. Most of the yogurt that was eaten there before came from Iran. Again, the cost of the Afghan yogurt is only about uh, 30 to 40 percent of the Iranian yogurt, but now it's the same quality. So first you build these small industries in Afghanistan and you can replace what is being imported. But it is also important for Afghanistan to have exports. Uh, and the biggest possibilities for Afghan exports are in agricultural products, particularly higher-end agricultural products like raisins uh, and saffron and pomegranates. Uh, and then eventually... Afghanistan will become a big exporter of, of minerals, iron and copper. Uh, and uh, so there is a huge amount of potential both to decrease imports and to increase exports in Afghanistan. In the beginning, you mentioned uh, again about the success stories, the bright spots, and you compared it to uh, when you were here during the civil war and during Taliban. And, do, do you think Afghans really have that memory to compare it because millions of them lived in, Pac uh, in Pakistan or Iran and uh, if or uh, most of them you know I think because they they're in their day-to-day -day, uh, business they face with the government and the corruptions that they see the the, the negative things that they see uh, do you think they could compare the same way that you do and really appreciate uh, the work that has been done and if not, how can how that perspective or how that could be changed mm. so that they start appreciating and then they start becoming part of the success story to themselves? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It is the job of the Afghan government, of the Afghan media, of Afghan politicians to tell this story because 
if you remember what Afghanistan was like in the 90s, if you experienced that, if you saw it, there is only one way forward for Afghanistan. And it is what we together have been building for the last 10 years. And it is very important for the Afghan people to remember and to be reminded of how far they have come. Nothing is perfect in Afghanistan today. The government is not perfect. The roads are not perfect. The energy system is not perfect. The education system is not perfect. But when you look at how far all of these things have come, it is an incredible story. And people have to be reminded of that because the last thing anybody in the world wants, especially Afghans, is to go back to the way it was. And so they have to grab onto that. They have to know that even if they find flaws with the way things are today, uh, the future, or the present, and hopefully the future is much, much better than the past. That you said, um, we spent uh, that on budget 50% of our assistance through the on budget. And uh, he said that 11 uh, government ministries couldn't spend their own development budget. Yeah. presented a, a challenge to give them the money and they won't be able to spend it. So um, th that is why we work so hard to build the capacity of our partners in the Afghan government. Uh, we don't give them the money if they can't spend it. Um, some of this money, this 50%, is sitting still in the Afghan Reconstruction Trust Fund, which is the World Bank Trust Fund, where we put most of our money through that goes to the Afghan government. If they can't spend it this year, then they will, they will try to spend it next year. But we also work with the Afghan government to make them more effective and to make them more efficient, uh, because it is in both of our interests, it is in all of our interests, uh, and I think that when you see year by year, their capacity is really improving.